Hello and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, the living embodiment of a non-playable character, Steel. <laughs> oh, you... and, I'm J- <laughs> and I'm Jade, level one DM Rose. Very nice. Thank you. Uh, and in today's episode, we're talking about tabletop role-playing games. If the, uh, if the titles didn't give it away. Yeah, I relate to non-playable characters. Yeah. Like, I'm not on any kind of quest. Mm-hmm. I'm just going about my day, offering advice, telling everyone where the mayor lives, mm-hmm. telling everyone, knowing suspiciously um, too much about the local murder and the disappearances that have been going on, <laughs> um, and knowing exactly where you can get a shield, but possibly not having a name. <laughs> oh, so you would have a name in my game. I, I love my NPCs. I have this problem where I keep coming up with them. And I have no reason for the like. Um, uh, I'm very early on, early days in the campaign that I'm running uh, for my D and D game. But my NPCs are an excuse for me to use all of my OCs that I haven't had a place for. So I have a list, and it, some of them have rem- have required mild conversion mm. to D and D esque characters. For the most part, they're fine. This is just, I think fantasy's always had a bit of a I've always liked fantasy as a genre so D&D is kind of a very fun play I mean I had no intention of being a DM mm. at all so um but it was very much a well nobody else is going to do it so I guess I'm going to have to do it and given my natural slightly controlling tendencies it's a <laughs> it, it's a fun place to be it's a bit stressful but I'm very much enjoying the experience of DMing, but hence level one DM. Well, let's talk about our first tabletop role-playing experiences. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a very recent convert. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was living with my previous flatmate, Mel, um, she mentioned very offhand, oh, I'm into role-playing. And I was like, great, I support that. Whatever you do in the bedroom is fine. Giggity, I- giggity. I do not mind. It's <laughs> fine. Um, she's into that as well. But uh, I... Love you, Mel. <laughs> um, I wanted to... I, I, I uh, Mel would always have friends over, mm-hmm. um, and they'd be playing in the kitchen, and I was very envious of the amount of emotion being generated and the story, and everything seemed really cool and exciting. And I kind of meekly um, asked Mel once, like... If, if you ever have a spot in any of your games, it's just... Yeah, yeah. Um, and they always wanted me to be involved. Um, didn't quite happen, just because these games last so long, and timing and everything, and Mel tended to play with a different friend group to one I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, until uh, some other friends of ours um, invited... Uh, me and Mel to play a game of Pathfinder um, in a campaign called the Cerulean Throne and it was kind of a um, it was great actually it was such a good introduction because it had dungeons and it had dragons well there you go Um, two two most important criteria right there out of the gate and it was set in a kind of desert world and we were in a big sort of oasis city oh cool Um, a city built on a 
portal to a, the elemental plane of water. Oh, nice. Um, and our party... I, I People laugh at me, okay. My first gaming Aww. experience, I was a halfling rogue. Bite me, okay? No, I'm not even joking. We'll talk about it a sec. My first D&D character was also a halfling rogue. I mean... It, uh, yeah. yeah. There's and reasons. Like, There's reasons. They, it's a fucking phenomenal combination. Yeah. Just because something is a suggested playable character type doesn't mean it's bad. But please continue telling me about yours. Well, it was kind of recommended to me. Um, I do tend to lean more to the short characters than the tall, elfy. Uh, me too. I, I, I relate more to them. Um, See, I don't know what it is with me because I am not a short person. I'm also not an exceptionally tall person, but it's that's partially a perception thing because lots of my friends are taller than me, mm. including my younger sibling. I try not to be annoyed about that with middling success but I always want to play small characters mm. and I have no idea why and Rogue was recommended just because they they said there wasn't much to learn specifically yeah there's not lots of spells and things with I rogues. was one of the steer clear of spells yeah little did I know after playing someone who did do spells later that spells are quite helpful because I was playing someone who was very underpowered for all the stuff that we had to fight. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. I, my my character was called Pinavale. Um, I was basically playing Finn from The Force Awakens before... The Force Awakens came out? Before The Force Awakens came out. Not that that's, you know, the most original idea for a character. Mm. But I played... I made up this backstory all about how I was part of a kind of um, band of uh, halfling barbarians... Um, and I'm giving Hamish a thumbs up. <laughs> uh, felt um, uh, didn't feel part of them and left and is now kind of like always looking over my shoulder, thinking that I'm a deserter and stuff. Oh, cool. Um, the group I'm playing, a group I played with, uh, I really like them as people, and I really enjoy gaming with them. But but. but um, I didn't have the same experience I was expecting. When I went, used to go into the kitchen and Mel was playing with her, uh, with her friends and um, there was, like, tears and, like... That's fairly standard for Mel, to be fair. Yes. But there was, like, shouting and in-character, like, discussions and sorting things out as characters. Yeah. And we played a very numbers-based... Yeah. Like, oh, I missed. Next turn. Kind of game. Um, so there was more adjustment. I, f- I still find battles very boring. Mm-hmm. Um, less so as they go on, as I've continued playing, but it was the thing I was most shocked about because I thought it would, I thought we'd be playing roles, but I felt more like we we're playing pieces. Yeah. Um, that's a good way of describing it. Um, which I think we all was all of our choice. Like, um, uh, it, the G- uh, DM, my friend Joe, was great. Um, the story and the setting was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of make a conscious decision as a group in the first session. Are we going to be, you know, in character the whole time? Or are we playing a board game? Yeah. So that was my first experience gaming. And that was literally... This year, mm-hmm. I think. 
You've had a busy year. Or uh, 2016. Mm. Uh, it might have been the previous year. Yeah. But I don't remember it being cold. Right, that makes sense. <laughs> I imagine it. I think it was spring. I remember spring. cold. I think it was spring. Yeah. I don't know. I have a, I have a terrible concept of time. Anytime I was like... I have to answer something. It's like, how long have you been living in that house? I was like, uh, uh, 10 years? Yeah. <laughs> That's normal, right? No. So what was your first experience? Uh, well, interesting. I'd done a lot of uh, writing RP, uh, which is where you take on the part of a character and you write the story from their perspective. So collaborative storytelling, but it was working in the written medium. And I've been doing that since I was about, off and on, since I was about 21. So, because I like, I like to try and write. I say emphasis on the try. My first tabletop role-playing experience was three years ago, maybe two. Um, amusingly enough, with two of the people that are in my current game, I don't know how we got onto the subject of, of t- doing D&D. And quick sidebar, when I was a kid uh, growing up, I was very I was aware of some of my parents' friends talking about Dungeons and Dragons, and I remember here and this would have been in the nineties, early to mid. This would have been in like maybe the mid to late nineties, mm-hmm. and I remember hearing about this and thinking, "That sounds like the coolest thing I have ever heard." <laughs> I was a very strange child. I'm not going to deny that, but I remember hearing about it and thinking, "That sounds cool." So for me, Dungeons and Dragons was never a strange thing played by odd people. One, I am an odd person, but two, I w- I'd always been intrigued by it. And I think my friend Mike um, said that he knew somebody who was up for DMing a game. So me and my partner, Mike and his girlfriend at the time, excuse me, um, we built our characters and this was fourth edition D&D. And for various reasons, we only ever played for two sessions, maybe a total of four hours, because there was a falling out between the DM and one of the other players. But I played a halfling rogue, Hmm. and her name was Dre, and I can't remember exactly what her her surname was, but it was derivative of Riverborn. Hmm. I think I used either Gaelic or something to come up with the name, and her whole thing was that she had been found by this circus troupe. Uh, clearly a boat had been destroyed with her parents on and they literally found her in the river in a basket. Kind of Moses-esque, but hence Riverborn. Mm. But she grew up in the circus and so she's very acrobatic and dexterous and very street smart but didn't know a lot about, not in the way of formal education, knew some languages, good with insight, that kind of thing. Because I liked the idea of playing a small, nimble, fast character because I am not a graceful human being. <laughs> in the slightest so it very much appealed to me this notion of playing somebody small and fast and graceful and our party was fun we had a tiefling ranger and an eladrin which is like a human elf no an elf fae, fae kind of it's some variant on elf was an eladrin i believe uh an eladrin wizard and we had um our fighter was a bugbear tank <laughs> which was a um, mike and then i was this tiny halfling rogue and as I said, we didn't play for very much, so we didn't even get like a full story in, really. But I did some of the coolest shit I think I've ever done in my quote life, unquote, which 
And I remember this visual so clearly. And this happened entirely in my imagination. And this is why role-playing games are so fucking cool. Was I got to run up a banister, a stone banister, like an open side staircase, backflip off while firing a crossbow and land on a chandelier. And I still remember this. Thank you. But I felt so good. I pulled off um, the rolls for I needed for it. And... My first, the second session we played, I had an incident happen to me that has become uh, my defining thing when I talk about Dungeons and Dragons, which is it was my turn. I was dreading what I had to do and I came up with an idea and I literally, okay, okay, this isn't going to work. And I let my head thud against the gaming table and my D20 rolled to a nat 20. So headbutts <laughs> a natural 20. Maybe that's what I'm doing wrong with my DMing. Maybe I should just start headbutting the table and I'll do better <laughs> rolls. There's so many nat ones in our last session. But headbutts a natural 20 has now become your like tag for... D&D related. D&D. Yes. But like, I never knew that story. Yeah. And I got it. Like, I, yeah. know, I know that like... D&D is kind of interesting because you... It's a storytelling device. Mm-hmm. And... Sometimes the story is not really making much logical sense because yeah. you end up being... I, it's kind of like a meme I see on Tumblr now. There's this um, uh, video footage of someone on one of those um, electronic balls. Do you know what I'm talking about at all? No. Okay. But please so like, it's become a bit it of a me. meme. Like I'm noticing it more. Maybe I'm just following more um, role players, but... Um, uh, there was a, like a video footage of a guy on one of those mechanical balls that like a yes. rodeo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. yeah. Um, starts off just uh, oh no, I think on they it, have seen this. and then just jumps up and, and is like moonwalking on, on top yeah. and like spinning around. And the comment was, um, "When you get a natural twenty on a balance check, mm. and it's like for some reason now your character is now just." Like pirouetting their way yeah. through this, oh yeah, completely no, obliviously. What, one of my favourite quote D and D related D and D slash roleplay related posts is one which is um, when the bard uses intimidate, and it's a gif of Jake Peralta from Brooklyn Nine Nine just showing the guitar going ah, yeah. which is very clear that when you roll a nat twenty and it's the doof warrior from uh, <laughs> from Mad Max, and then it's when you roll a one, it's like a skeleton with a flute going. <laughs> and I every time I see that post I laugh and there's this great post about stories of nat ones like mm. critical fails that always wither and then I think somebody did a comic of one of a guy trying to fight an orc and it ends up going like ends up touching up I seduce fine I seduce the orc rolls a nat 20 and it's just like they end up getting married and it's beautiful it's like, just like that shit only happens in D&D and, and tabletop yeah it's like I, you got to run with that and you got to yeah. own it because I think some people when you get like a, a, a one or whatever mm. um, some DM's reaction to that is just like you fail next turn no um, I, I think as a DM you have to decide at the beginning how you are going to treat because it's interesting like um, there's a feat in 5th edition that allows you oh it might be a, no it's a rogue trait once you get to a certain point if it's a stealth check or something, you have a double, you can't roll a one or a two. You re-roll, and halflings have the lucky trait, which is you get to re-roll a one or a two. 
Um, but I like to respect nat ones and nat twenties. Mm. And some people say a critical fail can be funny, but I know as a DM myself, I don't want to punish my players. But if I can make the failure funny in some way, mm. then I think everybody gets something. As long as you're not being actively cruel to your player, I think like great story elements. Failures are inevitably more interesting, or if you try something risky and pull it off, but that makes for good stories. And that's what role-playing is about. It's about collaborative storytelling. I think that's why it's so appealing to me as somebody who struggles as a writer to get ideas out of my head and into words. Whereas Um, that aspect of being in a group and creating, weaving a story together is so appealing to me. Yeah. I wanted to briefly mention my other... Um, my actual first Dungeons and Dragons experience. Please do. I did Pathfinder. I moved to Dungeons and Dragons just because. Then we'll talk about our current games. Yes. And this is my just one in between first and current. Um, and uh, squeaky wall. Yeah. Uh, so that was um, uh, that was Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, is it fifth edition? The current one. Yeah. Um, it was a way for the uh, the DM to learn it. Um, DM was Blanca, who was a player in the previous game. Uh, in more, the Pathfinder game. Yes. Um, similar group. Uh, a few different people. Um, in that one, I played a dragonborn bard, um, which sounds very different to a halfling rogue, but I did find myself playing the same sort of character. Mm-hmm. Um my character was sort of inspired by C-3PO in terms of personality. I love it. I was this kind of um, paranoid, um, uh, frustrated... Gold. Gold uh, dragon um, who no one was ever doing what they should have been doing and was constantly running behind the party with arms flailing <laughs> um, and finding this all a bit too much. Um and that was a horror game. It was a horror campaign. So the emphasis was on enemies we did not have the ability to defeat. Okay. Um, mystery and, like, gross stuff happening. Um, but the fact that it was a horror game was kind of... I didn't design... We were told it was a horror campaign. I think I just forgot. But it was a bit of a shock. And I designed this bard character who I ended up finding kind of useless. Yeah. Um, That's I, frustrating. I love bards, and I love playing some of sideline-y characters. Yeah. Um, but this was a very short campaign in which, in-game, was basically five hours of hell in these oh, wow. characters' lives. So, it. I would rather. I'd love to play a bard in like a, a sprawling quest one day, but I felt a little underprepared, which lent itself well to a horror campaign. Yeah. Um, and that uh, Blanca as a DM, uh, her technique is very much I want to punish my players. Mm-hmm. Um, to which is fine as a style of gameplay <laughs> if your players know what you're getting into. Very happy to be in a game with her, which is like a few sessions mm. uh, DMing. You wouldn't want to do that long. Time. I would get through so many characters if it was like more than <laughs> re-roll two sessions. your character every. So month. someone in our group did die. Um, in the second to last session mm-hmm. and um, they were like offered do you want our characters to meet a new character for one more session and he said no and which I respected because it he was quite invested in the character and uh, Blank uh, there's a 
it's kind of like a phrase, um, which I've coined, but yeah. no one else is using. But um, it comes from the a recent game Mario Maker, which was a game on the Wii U where you can make your own Mario levels. And I learned a lot about game design through playing other people's levels. Mm-hmm. And there's there's difficult, and there's hard. I don't know which one's which, but there's a type of difficulty where this is a difficult level someone's made. I have to be very skilled to beat this. Mm-hmm. There's a type of difficult where, haha, you didn't know I put an invisible block there and you died. And blank is a little bit more <laughs> invisible block. We got these potions in the game. Yeah. And uh, also blank is proud of this, as this notoriety. So I'm very happy to name her and <laughs> shame her. Um, but we got given these uh, potions and we said, oh, we didn't know what they were. And we all took them and we all had to roll. And then she'd look down at her notes and like, okay, you live. And you get, and then we got all these things. And it's like, if we rolled one thing, our character would instantly not just die, but explode and possibly kill anyone else near us. And that's the type of game she runs. And oh my god! In that one, the in that one, she's playing a DM who is our enemy. We have to beat. Yeah, her. it's versus the D player versus DM. And we all knew we were signing up for. I'd Why never, would you drink the potion? Because I had like one hit point, and okay. I would, like it was a risk. And I ended okay. up. My character ended up um, getting incredibly buff, <laughs> like proper Popeye. So like I went from a from, tiny twink to a muscle bound freak right before everyone's eyes. It was amazing, and so. I went in not... The view, the listeners might not know this about me, but I have a bit of a reputation for liking fat, chunky lizards. <laughs> I'm not quite sure why. Who um, knows? It's not like a real thing. It's I like crocodiles a lot, and characters which resemble crocodiles I'm usually quite interested in. Um, so I ended up... I, I, I kind of got given a Dragonborn to play. I was like, Hamish, you're going to play the Dragonborn because you like that stuff and I was like fine whatever but I tried to specifically make them like the tiny twinkie sort of nervous wreck ended up being the kind of buff tank of the party yeah. everyone was literally riding um, but it was really fu- it was really fun a very different type of set uh, type of game yeah it was quite interesting we played the final session in public oh which I was very nervous about yeah but we went to a pub mm-hmm. and there was a specific table it's in like a really big booth oh yeah um we laid out a big mat and we all played and everyone working there acknowledged that that's the table sometimes gamers take. Oh, cool. And we had food. Um, I sometimes quite like creating like a little mood of sort of atmosphere sounds or yeah. doing weird voices and making stuff. So it was a bold move. Um, but I enjoyed it and I'll cool. do it again. Yeah. Um, I just I had to go over a little bit of geek embarrassment from mm-hmm. nerd shame nerd shame yeah because some people are like looking over at us wondering what we were doing mm. but never always in just like curiosity yeah it wasn't actually not like not derision just yeah it was like oh I didn't know you could do that in public that's interesting yeah um, so that was my only other experience before our current games mm-hmm. would you like to talk about because we have transitioned from players to Game makers. Yeah. I, I don't know why I said that. What are they called in um, Hunger Games? Game, Game ma- designers? No. 
can't remember. I'm sorry. It might be the game makers. Um, um, All I can remember is Seneca Crane and his elaborate facial hair construction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Hunger Games? That's what the books are called. Would be an interesting... Topic. Oh, oh no. No, I was thinking an interesting gaming oh, setting. Oh, that would definitely be a good gaming setting. Anyway, you'd anyway. be very much against each other. Maybe. Yeah, that would be an, it'd be an interesting kind of role play experience to have all against all like that. Yeah. Though battle royale settings as one-offs can be really fun. <sighs> anyway, anyway, we have transitioned from being players to being DMs and GMs. Yes. No, we talk, um, I don't know what one we should talk about first because um, interest. I, I DM a homebrew Dungeons and Dragons campaign, fifth uh, edition. And I play in Hamish's game that he GMs. Yes, which uses the Fate Core system. So I am more than happy to talk about um, my DMing experience first, and then we go into Hamish's DMing experience, okay. and then I can talk about my experience playing yeah. said GMing experience. Let's do that. I want to know more about your game, because I don't know anything. Okay. I know there's a boat... There's a what? There is. They're currently. They're currently <laughs> on a boat. I was like, a vote? No. The current. Um, and that's it. It is a totally homebrew campaign. Well, I say totally, but I am making it up as I go along. I am heavily inspired by uh, Critical Role, which, if you don't know, is a web series on Twitch where a bunch of nerdy ass voice actors play Dungeons and Dragons, and Matthew Mercer, who runs that game is like a deity that that man dm goals just <laughs> oh. but that was my key inspiration for both wanting to play D and starting to dm so i'm i've created a homebrew campaign and i'm enjoying sort of building that but we've only had two sessions so far but the way i see it is quite often one i started my characters at uh, the party at level three but two quite often with D. When you start, the characters already have been... The idea is, you've been travelling together for a little while. I really wanted to do a sort of how the band got together story, almost like a prologue to the wider campaign. And originally it was just going to be them on a boat to the mainland and stuff was going to happen. As it is, we've had stuff before they get on the boat and now they are on the boat. <laughs> and wait a minute. Yeah, no, we. I can talk about the plot as much as as much as you like because this isn't going to go out until they've experienced it. Okay. So, yeah, basically they are in the in the city uh, in the small uh, town of Calderon, uh, perpetually stinking of mud, and they're all looking to book passage to the mainland, uh, but no ships have come in. And after they've been there, sort of between three and six days i got them to roll a d6 to see how long they'd been in the town for because <laughs> i thought that would be fun um somebody a boat has arrived it's been there a couple of days but nobody's appeared at the pub to to pick up passengers like they normally do uh the first mate arrives the reason the ship's not gone anywhere is because a member of their crew who was sent on a supply run hasn't come back yet and so uh, the idea was that um the, effectively the players have been hired to go retrieve this wayward cu uh, wayward crew member and bring them and the supplies back in exchange for getting passage on the ship and so that's what they did and they are now they have earned their passage on the Anastasi and my whole idea with the Anastasi 
was I wanted to create a bunch of NPCs that would be sort of a reflection of, but also an aspirational group for the players to look at. I very purposely chose classes by one of the one of the NPCs that were different to the party, mm. but I wanted them to see this unit working together to sort of inspire them both as players, but also as characters for, oh, this is what it can be like to travel and work together. Hmm. So that's sort of the the place where I'm at with it at currently. What's been the biggest difference you found running a game to playing a game? The amount of prep you've got to do? Yeah. Like a terrifying amount of prep? <laughs> no. I just it, I tend to rock up to games I'm playing just yeah. like really? what's my character called again? Yeah. I yeah. Wait, because I have to have the world in my head. And I'm very aware of how much plot I need versus how much space I should give the characters to work with. Because I'm a very character-focused person. This is what attracted me to roleplay, because I love character work. It's what I like as an actor. It's what I like as a writer. And as a DM, you're responsible for the world-building is fun. Don't get me wrong, but you're responsible for the world and then the people that populate the world. And then also you have to run the game. And that is actually the thing that I found trickiest. You mentioned combat being your least favourite part. Mm. Yeah, it's my least favourite part because there is so much to keep track of when you're running combat. But for all my first session, I was much more nervous about um, because I just hadn't done it before. And it felt I had the same kind of nerves before the first session that I do before I go on stage. Yeah. That sort of performance anxiety. But everybody had a really good time. So, but yeah, I think it's that the sheer number of things you have to have in your mind and the fact that you have to keep your mind sort of both a step ahead of your players so you can prep what's coming next, but also you have to be with them in the moment to honour their choices. And I enjoy that challenge, but it's like being the director and the screen, it's like being the director and the playwright and the techies and the stage manager and on stage as an actor all at the same time. And it makes me think, like, what, like, running a kitchen must be like. Oh, if you're the chef. Yeah, just the, like, keeping track of so many different... I have to... Keeping track of everyone's characters. Yeah. All of your characters. Yeah. Your world. Yeah. While it's, you're also planning a menu for next week. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, like, it shouldn't be a one-person job. But, but it is. That's, but it is. Yeah. Um... For sure. And, like, I think it doesn't help that we both want to, like, take our players on a very unique, home-brewed, yeah. amazing quest. It, I don't look down on anyone that uses the pre-made no, games. Like, no, not That would all. be so much fun to do. Cause yeah, you can, I'd like to buy a pre-paid adventure, maybe just mm. tweak it to fit my world rules. I recently bought... I got, as a birthday present, um, the rule book for the official Doctor Who RPG game. Yeah. Only because I read, like, I, w I was like, why would you buy that? And then I read one little rule about the game, which I found very fascinating. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how much I would actually be willing to play it. And yeah. if I did, I would probably use one of the pre-made games. Yes. Because um, it would it would be interesting to me, because I wouldn't know as much where it was going. Um, mm-hmm. The rule in the Dot 2 game I just find quite interesting is turns are taken in the 
order of whoever wants to talk goes first, whoever wants to run goes second, whoever wants to cause a distraction goes third, and whoever wants to fight goes last, mm-hmm. which is just a neat way of paralleling the TV show is kind of like violence is the last option. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's that kind of like... The amount of stuff you have to keep in your head, I never quite... It's the most multitasky thing I've ever done. Yeah. And I don't quite know if I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But then it's over, I'm like, oh, that was great. Yeah. It's like doing, like, Tough Mudder or something. Yeah. It's like... Like a good workout. It's so hard. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, ultimately, I find it incredibly satisfying, and... Um, one, I have this thing as nods to one, Critical Role, which is my main inspiration, two, Matt Colville, who does this great series of videos on how to run D&D games, and three, the McElroys, um, who I got, who podcast listeners probably have heard of, the the McElroys, who have a whole series of podcasts they do, but they have one called The Adventure Zone, which is them playing D&D with their dad, Mm. which I... Adore, and we are going to do an episode about it. Yeah. Yes. But I have paid tribute to these inspirations with my deities in mm. my game, my homebrew campaign. I have my core pantheon of eight who are named, who are inspired by the seven players of Vox Machina and Matt Mercer, the DM. I have my goddess of magic and guardian of the weave is named in tribute to Matt Colville. And the three McElroy brothers are the fates in my game. Mm. And they're past, present and future. And their father is time. Mm. I could talk about my deities so much, Hamish. Like, I, I can I really them. sense from this episode, this is, this, this is us setting the groundwork for our future tabletop episodes. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like it's really nice just to talk about our games. Yeah. And we can talk about role-playing itself mm-hmm. in the future. Um, do we want to really talk about my game? Yes, I do. So we're using a system called Fate because I explained the kind of game I wanted to make to uh, Mel and uh, they actually recommended Fate. Mm-hmm. So I read the rule book um, and I got an impression from the rule book, oh, this game's so simple. It's like, I can do it, this is easy. Mm-hmm. First session, every session has had a little bit of a breakdown. And I mean that in a just like literal, we break the game down. We stop at about, we start at like 12. There's always the 3 p.m. We're just having a moment as a group right now because I fundamentally misunderstand the rules somehow. (laughs) Um, I am playing with very experienced fate players. With two very experienced fate players. I'd like to point out that Lydia and I are not. No, but Mel and Paul really want to, challenge me um in the encouraging way not as opposed to the in opposition no yes they want to i don't even know if they want to i think they're just trying to play the game and i'm like hold on how do you do that and they're like that's the simplest most core aspect of the game um yeah fate's really great for a very different kind of experience um it's main thing is aspects mm-hmm. instead of like a list of skills of sort of numbers um the game kind of runs on 
your characters, your enemies, and all the locations having aspects from which you can draw how you do things. I mean, because Fate, what you were saying about D&D, and you can play, it's like almost more like a board game. Like, you yeah. have objectives. Fate is very much, you are telling a story together. And the challenge is using the aspects to create yeah. that story. That's where the sort of the the game aspect comes in. It's like, okay, these are what's on the table and this affects the narrative in this way when. D and D there's nothing there's not there's not much in the actual system to tell you to play it in a in character, story driven way. Mm-hmm. And that's when that's what the group decides. Yeah. But fate is much is structured in a way that our characters are very much like in each other's pockets and like mm-hmm. uh there's like a, a weird sort of health system where instead of like your hit points have reached this, you are knocked out. In this like damage you do is written down as specific like my arm is now broken. We haven't really done too much of that yet, have we? Well, we've not had massively combaty no. fights. Our enemies have had physical have had consequences. This is the thing. So my game is inspired by Power Rangers. And it's awesome! And the Super Sentai series, which is my favourite TV show. Um, so, I'm playing a system. I'm, D- I'm DMing a system I've never played and massively hacking it. And the fact that we have a lot of me being taught the rules and, like, all right, let's pause for, like, half an hour... Like, we were actually recording us play it, but it's not an easy lesson. It, I was going to say, I haven't listened to it back, so... No, it's, um... Yeah, people are still having fun, I think. Oh, yeah. But it's not quite the super fun, let's go on an adventure thing I have when I'm playing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the DM, DMing this has made me really want to play a game again, which mm-hmm. I am doing. But anyway... We play as powering. We play as Zodiac Troopers. Yeah, we do. Um, and th- the most fun bits, I think, have been um, just like so. The, the bits I find have found the fa- most fun. Yeah, is you didn't get to choose what your assigned like Power Ranger color and symbol was. I kind of. I was very. I I told people basically how I was going to choose it, <laughs> but. Um, it's all based on their character's zodiac sign. Uh, the characters had to write out um, their university application or their ID cards, and then I kind of like announced their when they got sort of got the powers. They I announced it really dramatically. It was like, suitably epic, I have to say. And it's really fun when all everyone's like poses and transforms and like shouts out. And um, but because of the nature of me wanting to tell the story, we actually haven't done much Power rangers yet. Um, that will come. The next yeah. three episodes, I think, are solid. We are off on a Power Rangers adventure. Yeah. Um, and the other fun bit was when I was, like, freaking you out. And, like, there was a bit when you all went into the woods and were being stalked by these kind of weird Stranger Things kind of things. It was creepy things. as fuck, yeah. Um, so... It makes me very sure that next time I game, I am I am sort of developing a fate game at the moment in my head, um, which is going to be single episodes. So a pool of people will create characters. Mm-hmm. I'll then say, we are doing a game on this date. Who wants to and who can make it? Oh, 
that's a fun idea. And it'll be a one-off thing, and it'll be spooky. Spooky. And I won't try and hack the game much. Like <laughs> one of the problems in my game is I've in uh, in Fate. There's kind of like the the book of Fate is great and also very confusing because every five seconds it says, "But if you don't like this rule, just get rid of it. It's fine." Mm-hmm. Um, there's a list of skills like in D and D, but you can completely change them. And what each skill do is does is just dependent on how the table feels yeah. about it. So I invented all these new ones and we weren't quite sure what some of them are and it's caused a bit of attention sometimes because... Only in the first episode. Yeah. There was a debate about software and hardware and what that meant yeah. on an alien spaceship, which I had purposely been a bit vague about. <laughs> and the other thing I found very hard is that I, in my head, I'm like, I know what this character's going to sound like and behave like and then... As soon as they say their first line, I am not the character I prepared. Uh, see, whereas I have this problem where I like doing accents. And let me tell you this, listeners. It, it's great to have um, a vaguely French-accented Fayborn Bard <laughs> and a Welsh-accented Goliath Barbarian. Trying to switch between those two accents is one of the hardest things I have ever had to do in my life. I mean... It was hilarious. But it was difficult. My characters haven't had many distinct accents. I think because I don't want to do racist Japanese accents. Um, I've kind of gone for quite a, like, dubbed movie. Everyone's very dramatic. Yeah. There are a lot of fist clenching. I know, your cadence changes for them. The way they speak. Yes. None of them have been confusing. Like, I've not got mixed up with anything. So yeah. you're doing good. I'm, I'm very much like playing Veronica. We love Veronica. Who is... She's our Rita Repulsa, actually. Yeah, at the moment, she's the most recurring villain type character. I've only met her once. She's... uh, Her presence is felt. Her presence. In her rose gold armour. She wears, like, rose gold armour and is always going... (laughs) And And we all love her. And she has a whip, and she's great. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, it's the hardest thing ever. And, like, I don't... I, like... I don't look forward to the next session because I'm like, in a kind of way, mm-hmm. I do look forward to it, but it's it's like knowing you've got like a play to do or like got an exam to do. Yeah, it's just it's the amount pressure. of pressure. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, and it's something I always w- thought I wanted to do when mm-hmm. being a player, but like being on a panel, I was yeah. like, I want to be in charge of this panel. The and second the, I am, the reality it's just like, of it is a different. Have thing. a full on crisis about like the pressure and the yeah. responsibility. Um, but I want to do this like one-off thing because it's less about building a coherent story. Yeah, no, that sounds fun. Also in Fate, I th- another thing I like, which we didn't really do, yeah, because I'm actually a player in another Fate game, mm-hmm. um, is character creation is a full-on, like, meant to be a proper session. We kind of skipped it. All right. The proper thing. But, like, you're meant to basically describe your backstory oh. and how you meet everyone oh. and then draw your aspects from that oh i see so in the other game i'm playing um run by ben um that's a spooky adventure in a kind of it's set in a like D- dungeons and dragons world but leaning more to like sleepy hollow i am so jealous that i'm not <laughs> part of this game. there's a lot of van tassels and van tussles tussles and, and von schmoor yeah lots of that it's lots of like scared pale old men at the window going like <laughs> they're here um it's really great and i'm playing a character who is a genuine reaction to 
my previous two characters of Pinavale, the uh, Halfling Twitchy Rogue. Halfling Rogue. And, um, C3PO. The yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't say his name. He's called Silverzar because he's gold, and I thought it was funny. It, it's a thing. But I play these kind of like twitchy, hangbacky type characters, and I'm now playing Bayonetta essentially. <laughs> um, she's Katya, and I'm doing a full Russian accent the entire time—a terrible Russian accent. But um, she's this kind of like her high concept, which is your biggest aspect in Fate, um, is vampire dominatrix agent or something <laughs> and she's just like she's so fun to play like honestly all my characters before I was like I like this character because they're a bit like me and genuinely playing someone who is not like me has been the most fun ever and I was going to say that I love my character that I play in our fake game um, yeah. my character's name is Kai who is a megazoologist uh, researcher um, and communications specialist. I worry he's a little bit too much like me. And it's so, so much I, harder to get in character. I don't feel like I feel like I could have pushed myself so much more. Whereas uh, Mel and Paul are sort of more out there, or they, their characters feel. I feel Kai is different from me quite a lot, and I feel I'm doing some. I love the character work I've done with him, but I do feel I could have made somebody further from myself, and I kind of wish I had. Well. I like, so I love Katia because I'm also not just, not just playing the character, but I'm just doing things I never do. I'm, I'm, I'm the like tank of the party. I'm always into the battle first fighting and, um, it's actually a little bit easier to play that than the one that hangs back and doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And I, I remember in my other two games, which was like, there was a little, even though I was a player, there was still pressure on me because I was like the newbie in the group. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to ruin their fun with my lack of knowledge. Yeah. And I was like, always the one that's like, um, I don't know what to do. I'm mm. going to fire an arrow. Oh, it oh, missed. Yes. Sorry. But in this one, I'm like in charge. And it helps that I'm also the most experienced fate player in the, in the <laughs> party, which is quite surprising because I'm probably one of the least at yeah. the game I'm running. But it feels great, and I I feel very empowered. I, I think that's one of the great things about role-playing games, is that you can be so far away from who you are. And it, it's a chance to do it in a safe environment, and it's very liberating. Well, when I when my first session, my first uh, the Pathfinder game in the desert, yeah, I was playing with people I'd never played role-playing games before. And there was a lot of times where I was like, I don't know if this person is playing an annoying character or, or they annoying. are being annoying. <laughs> um, and actually it was very clear to me. So, for example, um, I keep naming names. We're not saying surnames, but I think everyone would be fine. Yeah. But uh, first game, Blanca was playing a, like, orc tank. Yeah. I'm going to barge in. It was like, we're all sneaking in. We've all got a plan. And, and then just like kicks the door down. Yeah. And like, ha ha, but we all got massive damage and we didn't need to. Yeah. And You've I can respect your fellow players yeah. choices, but it was very clear that actually she's just really good at playing the character because yeah, it was the, a character choice, yeah. not an aggressive player actually, choice. That character was the one that died. Ah, and that was what, like, it was a bit sad because it was the one session Blanca wasn't doing very much, obviously. Yeah. But 
it was the one time when we stopped the sort of moving piece side of it. And actually role played. Yeah. Because we were fighting necromancers. Ah. And everyone in the party, except for me and Mel, were like, all right, let's find someone to bring this character back to life. You guys and were like, no! what the... And like, I actually needed to like pause the game and say, I don't know enough about D&D. Why is resurrecting people okay sometimes, but not others? And it was a bit of a vague response. It was like, oh, it just kind of depends how you want to play it. Right. But we all decided that we did like a seance. Yeah. And then he like, uh, the DM passed Blanca like little oh. notes of like, this is what's happening to you currently. You can express it in whatever way you want. That's interesting. And uh, we just got this message from Blanca's character saying like, no, no, it burns. Or something. Ooh. And we couldn't decide if that was like, no, no, don't bring me back. It burns. Or, or no, no, it burns. Help me. Yeah. And we made a decision because we kind of worked out because um, her character had become really charred. Yeah. That you could put her soul back in her body. But the body But was... she would be in like horrible pain. Oof. So anyway... It was fun, like, yeah. making those kinds of moral decisions. And one thing that's bugged me about fate is that um, when you go into situations, everyone at the table kind of needs to agree what the outcomes... Not the outcome, but, like... What you're trying to do. What we're trying to do. And that's not something that's bugged me about fate. It's that I actually... I made the mistake of designing a game where I want moral ambiguity to be the, like... Yeah. I want the team to decide where their morals lie. Yeah. Um... And that's not impossible. It just takes a much more skilled, yeah, GM to do. Mm-hmm. Eh. Right. I want to talk about because we've both DM'd, or yeah. GM'd, and both played. Queering up the party. Yeah. Our powers. It's. I'm lucky that I'm in a group where they just no one assumes I'm going to play a straight character. <laughs> um. Actually, playing Katia, someone was just suggesting a aspect to me and put lesbian in there. All right. And I was like, I really imagine her, like, tying up men, though. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, which is fine. Yeah. Um, I, I genuinely tried, decided I'm going to work out her sexuality over the course of the game. That's cool. And I really enjoyed being horribly, like, aggressively flirty with men. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of NPCs which Ben had to like create out of nowhere because like there's a guard there and he's like yep I was like all right I flirt with him I tell him like I ask him what's his name like yeah where does he live <laughs> uh, I saw a post on Tumblr like, I think um, you I think I reblogged it from you mm. which was um, any heterosexual D and D character is a waste of time yeah <laughs> I mean the I, I the person who wrote that post has very I don't yes. aggressive but kind of aggressive but it was a sentiment i i very much appreciated because obviously i've been creating npcs and in my game my players um over half of the party are cishet guys yep and while i'm very aware that i want to my create npcs that are queer and i said i don't want to make them feel uncomfortable but i don't want to feel like i'm pressing an agenda I just want it to feel very natural. Mm. On the flip side to that, my sister, uh, the character she created, and this was entirely off her own back, created her character is non-binary. And she told me this 
And I said, um, when she was working on her character creation, I said, oh, um, have you decided on a gender uh, for Farron? And she was just like, uh, they use they them. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, no, they've sort of said, fuck the gender binary because they've sort of, they're very anti-establishment in a lot of ways, but gender is irrelevant to them. And I cried because I was just like, you have made me so happy as a DM. It was in- that choice mm. meant so much to me. And I, I love that thing with role-playing. And you can make an argument about it, but there's an inherent queerness in a good way of playing a character that's a different gender to yourself. Yeah. Well, I found it kind of interesting because Pinavale, my mm-hmm. halfling rogue, yeah. n- I never, ever said the gender. Oh, right. And I always refer to a they. Did people I make didn't, assumptions? I didn't, I didn't say that out to the groups, like, yeah. oh, by the way, Pinavale's they. And then everyone referred to them as he. Oh, right. But I was, I literally designed and, like, made the character as AFAB. I was going to say, when I saw the um, art, I assumed AFAB. Yeah, and they are literally wearing a binder mm-hmm. in the drawings, yeah. I think. Um, and I just was like, in my head, I was just like, I feel like in this, like, barbarian group, they... I thought it was actually quite interesting, because I think ten... Characters which are sort of play around with gender tend to be from the kind of lofty bohemian sort of cultures. And it's fun to play. It's actually kind of fun to play it in the more kind of rough and tumble side yeah. of things. But um, again, I, I wasn't making... It was actually me not being able to decide. Because yeah. my first game, I was very indecisive about yeah. all of my character aspects. And I was mm. like, I can't decide who yeah. I want to play. So they haven't got a yeah. gender. And that's cool. With, with our fate game, um, my character is ostensibly male but uses both masculine and gender neutral pronouns and mel plays a trans man Mm. and paul plays a woman uh lydia plays Plays herself lydia (laughs) plays herself but that's cool that's that's cool like but those choices were interesting and as we've gone forward and something i like that you did was basically when we started everybody's pan like yeah. Not, not as a. I wanted my uh, not, 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 not in the sense of you must be, but rather so there was that flexibility. I didn't want anyone to feel they couldn't flirt or have a relationship with any of my NPCs. This possibly wasn't helped by Jade. <laughs> by Jade, I'm talking about myself in third person. I'm going to flirt with Lydia's character, yeah. and what's hilarious is one Kai doesn't really flirt with anybody because Kai's awkward as all hell, but. Kai and uh, Lydia's character friend are just sort of like very much platonic BFFs. And I like that it mm. went that way. So my, well, my, my second character, the Dragonborn, yeah. Silverzar, um, I was... Uh, Blanca gave us all these like secret pieces of paper. Oh, yeah. It was like, I'm going to say a little thing about your character. Okay. Because I want, I want you all to have this like secret power you can bring out. Oh, that's a cool idea. So my character, because Blanca knows me yeah. and I'm trash... Gave my character a scale from a loved one that had magical properties where I could hold it and like re-roll and do some other stuff. Um, But every time I used it, no one because no one else knew about these special powers. But I kept like, I'm gonna hold the scale, and to everyone else, they assumed this was just me role playing. Yeah, they didn't know that it was like written into the rules. Those magic powers. Um, But like, I made this whole little thing about how um, my character is a dragonborn. Did rejected dragon society yeah. a lot and became a bard and just went on to meet other people but there was like this one dragon that they missed and was like I'll come back for you kind of Aww. thing um, 
And now I'm playing Katya, who is a woman. Um, I had heard briefly toyed with the idea that she's a trans woman. I don't mm. really care if she is anymore. Yeah. Can be. Um, I knew it, w- it would never come up in our game unless it was like a horrible negative way. Yeah. The type of like game we're playing. I didn't want that. So in my head, she kind of is. Mm. Um, but I just kind of, it, it, it's fun. So I'm doing an accent and it's bad and I know it's bad. Yeah. And it started off as a joke, mm-hmm. but out, this is the same group. I do things with a joke because they've become so serious and so no, dear yeah, to you. Like, um, the, this is the same group who a few games ago I was complaining about it just being pieces and stuff. Yeah. And I think I, me and Mel have been a positive influence in this group mm. because even though my accent is really shoddy and half the time it's like, what the hell's that? It's put everyone in the room so much more. And yeah. when I'm like flirting with people and being all Russian and Russia doesn't exist in this world. Um, everyone, like I've noticed everyone else is doing voices more. Yeah. And like, even if it is just like talking a bit lower or whatever, I've never seen that with this group before. Yeah. Um, I've seen it with the, with the DMS. Um, like, Blanca, who was playing a, like, the big orc sort of smashery thing, yeah. is now playing this, like, meek nun who's oh, like, cool. oh, I don't want to cause any trouble. I just mm. want to do this. And, um, apparently the other players, uh, our friend Jonathan is playing, um, like, prof- uh, the professor from Futurama, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, is always wanting to dissect things. And like, good news, everyone. And it's really fun. <laughs> and it, it is about creating that environment. I, I said, just I was worried about making an agenda. And I don't know whether this is just based on my delightful influence as a human being, but mm. Mike, who is playing a known bard in our game, Glim Garrick, and he does an Irish accent and it makes me very happy. But he made the choice to sort of flirt and get flustered by an attractive male NPC. Mm. And let me point out, this NPC is Idris Elba. <laughs> and everybody was a bit like, oh, because that, I feel, is a, a natural response to Idris Elba in any setting. But he made me- that choice yeah. to be that character. And, and Mike is, is, is straight. He's very comfortable in himself and he's happy to jokingly flirt with male friends anyway. But I feel like he probably wouldn't have done that. And he's already said to me, this is the most RP heavy D&D he's played because he's played yeah. quite a lot. And knowing that he's enjoying that and that he can explore explore that. And I feel that's why it's important as creators. And even if it's just you're creating your character or if it's from a DM perspective, by putting that in the world, you are encouraging others to bring it to the table as well. And having a voice, even if it's awful or it's little, just a little bit of changing your tone, really does help with the like, this is a decision my character's making. This is something my character's saying. Yeah. Because the way I play D&D, we usually say the jokey thing we don't actually mean first. And then do the thing. And then we're like, okay, I do this. Okay. Ah, oh, D&D. I mean, there's other, ga- there's other games I we could talk about. I have played a game called Souls Without Masters. Yeah. Which is like a one-night thing. Uh-huh. And I played a game called Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. It's nothing to do with Cthulhu. It's just a system for, like, yeah, horror games. I think I've heard of that one. Um, and I just... I'm really glad I'm embracing nerdiness and yeah. like letting myself get deeper in this. Yeah, no, me too. Same. There's this system I came about. I think it's called 
dogs of God or something. It's basically, uh, it involves a dice system, but it involves like almost a gambling system and you up the ante and things and yeah. you try to beat your DM's hand in order to achieve stuff. And regardless of which way it goes, it creates different consequences. And it sounds very cool and I think we should talk about it at some point. Maybe not in the air. And Mel wants me to uh, play a game which is called Dread. Where yes, you play with a Jenga. Jenga. You use Jenga. Jenga. It's amazing. So good. There's an episode of Tabletop where they play it. I do recommend checking it out. Well, we've talked about our games yeah. in quite a lot of detail. Yes, we have. Um, but we will come back. I, w- I want to get some of our fellow gamers on. Yes. Um, That'd be fun. Maybe Mel, because uh, they're the one that sired me into the world of tabletopping. She will love that you described yeah. it like that. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. Um, I think that'll do for today. So, I say today, this episode. Um, Got to thank Graham Waller. Audio Overlord and Master of the Soundwaves for helping produce the episode and Soundbeard Audio for our theme music. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you can get in contact with us uh, via uh, our email, which is boxnotincluded at gmail, or via Twitter. We have three Twitters with which you can contact us. At Box Not Included, of course, or our individual ones. I'm at Hamish Steele. And I'm at Rose. Um, so any of them we'll find out yeah please get in contact with us uh, thoughts on this tabletop experiences I'd love to hear from you games you recommend yes um, board games too not just tabletop yes. RPs we just uh, there were so many other things I could have spoken about yeah but I feel that's enough for today so until next time I'm Jade Rose I'm Hamish Steele and don't let anybody box you in <laughs> <laughs>